0: I'm excited to share with you a message this morning that's in my heart and that I have excitement about, and as I said, to share about small groups and future and this meeting dinner that we have tonight happening. Uh, if you would, you can turn to John chapter 13, uh, is a, a chapter of conversation, of a little bit of context. It's it's a dinner. In a similar sort of way, it's kind of like Jesus getting together with the gang one last time in a spot that's referred to as the upper room. And they're getting together and having dinner together one last time, though they don't necessarily know that. Jesus has told it. He's foretold it. He's shared about it. It doesn't make as much sense to them as it does to him. That's happening in John chapter 13. But as I've said before, sometimes it's helpful to jump ahead. I don't recommend it in reading all books. It would kind of like be cheating to jump ahead and read the final chapter of a book or a novel that you picked up in order to start at the beginning, but we're going to do that this morning in terms of John chapter 13 because Jesus, the precipice of what Jesus has to say is at the end, and sometimes it's helpful to read what's at the end to understand where Jesus was going and what he was communicating towards. In John chapter 13, Verse 34 and 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In terms of a title this morning or some of my thoughts, uh, something ran through my head that I might just share with you, maybe a little Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? All right. All right. Well, if you're in my head and you pictured me doing it, I expected it to go a lot worse than that. So I'll take that. Any of you want to take over for me? All right. All right. You stay there. I'll stay here. But that's what this chapter is. It's Jesus saying love has a lot to do with it. In fact, it's so much so... It's one of my last messages to you. The gang is getting together one last time, and I know how much so. And the most important thing I can leave with you and communicate to you is how much love has to do with it. We're going to be looking at this morning, not because Valentine's is around the corner, but you could benefit men, women, husbands, wives, spouses, parents. You could benefit by a couple of the things this morning, but it does has nothing to do with Valentine's Day. It has something to do with every day. The way you and I live our life, the way we relate to people, it has everything to do with our job situations and scenarios, our home life, our upbringing, and who we're bringing up. It's love. Three things that I want to share with you this morning as we look at John chapter 13, the first is love looks like a commitment to serve. A commitment to serve in John 13 verse 1, it starts out saying, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The New Living Translation says to the very end. Another translation says to the extent of his love, he loved them. To the very end. I hope if you're at church here this morning, if you're gathering with us, if you're listening to me, you can at least agree with me on this. Jesus came to love people. Jesus left the Father. He was sent by the Father. He left the powers and principalities. All authority that he had was contained, and he became the Son of Man. He became like you and I, the Godhead, the Son, enveloped in a completely earthly mankind to love people intensely to love people deeply. And Jesus was doing that on one of their last nights together. Jesus came, as John Maxwell puts it, to infuse value. Jesus came to love by infusing value. What Jesus chooses to do next is to infuse or to demonstrate his love to them and to all of us who would believe, who come after them. Why? Because love covers mess-ups. Jesus knew mess-ups were still coming, and the gang needed to know. Mess-ups were still coming, and you and I needed to know. It's going to be uncomfortable. A couple of them are going to question it, but Jesus needed to do it. When a person looks back at their experience Remembering how they were loved, they feel valued. Regardless of how they felt, regardless of maybe how the misunderstanding was or how they were interpreting it at the time, when each of us look back and experience where we were loved, it brings back a sense of value. And Jesus was putting value into them despite the circumstances that were coming. John chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Read along with me, if you would. It says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you're picturing yourself there, it's maybe getting a little uncomfortable. We're gonna hear the perspective of at least one who felt like, you're making me uncomfortable. Maybe you're sitting there hearing me this morning and you're a little uncomfortable, it's okay. Love is a commitment to serve. I remember being a little uncomfortable myself, even the first time that someone said, I feel like I need to wash your feet, I was uncomfortable so I can relate to Peter, who we're going to read about in a bit. But I also remember trying to be as intentional as Jesus. It was my second trip to Romania, where we were working with poor gypsies, and particularly, specifically at this moment in this part of the trip, it was about gypsy children. I say gypsy children, even though we we're in Romania and working with poor and rural children and their families up in the nooks and the crannies of the hills and the drainages in areas where people didn't own the land. It was land that was kind of owned by everybody. This is where the gypsies would settle and where their village would become, the village of Schwerd, Albeste, these kinds of places. And working with these children, they're children who like, don't even have a birth certificate because they're gypsies born in Romania, families of four and five generations, sometimes six generations, but they're gypsy, who don't have the benefits of early education or all the medical access of other kids whose families have been in the country of Romania for generations upon generations. These are gypsies. Though their descendants come from India, they're not Indian, they're gypsy. They're not Romanian. They're gypsy. They're not from that part of Asia where their descendants come from. They're gypsy. They're wanderer. They're not from Eastern Europe. They're not from Great Britain. Those are gypsies. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we're working with these kids. And there's a part of you that just wants to really instill God's love and his worth and his acceptance, his forgiveness for them That what he did for me, he absolutely did for them. And everything that's entitled to me, all the benefits that I have, are absolutely for them. And one of the ways we chose to do that, we felt like the Holy Spirit was leading us in, is black and white. Us Americans are at the feet of these dirty little gypsy kids that are just gypsy. And we're washing their feet. Can you imagine how uncomfortable they are? Those big brown... Eyes looking up at you in adoration you 're american you 're superhero you 're superman i won 't forget after we did that and went through that experience, I remember in worship that night, one of those little boys came up to me and hugged me and worship just to get another hug and said i don 't want you to forget me There's some things that Jesus is communicating here, saying, I don't want you to forget. Don't forget. I'm sorry you're uncomfortable, but I don't want you to forget. Love has a lot to do with it. In a conversation about church, one of my friends, his name is Steve Chestnut at Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. He and I were having a conversation, and he recently told me this. He said, the way love is transferred is through serving them. The way love is transferred is through serving them. Do you know you're them? You're the people I want to serve and that I want to love and that God has given us staff and elders responsibility to tend and to care for and that Jesus is saying here, love them like I've loved you. But it's not just here. It doesn't stop here. We have a city and a valley full of people, a beautiful valley. Evelyn and I were coming down the North Hill last night on our way home in the dark and just seeing the beautiful lights, the way the clouds were, the moonlight was last night. Evelyn says, Dad, Evelyn was beautiful. I love this place. I love these people. I said, Those, she got to hear my message on the way up. I said, Those are the people, those are the them. And God's love needs transferred to them by us serving. And we serve the master, the absolute master servant. Scripture's loaded with examples, but I have a couple of examples I want to go through quickly here. Beginning in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus' loving. In Matthew 9 verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. New Living Translation in Luke 7.13 says this, When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. He had to say something. He had to do something. In addition to Jesus' words, in addition to his felt compassion, in each one of these stories, Jesus does something. He doesn't just, it doesn't say he has sympathy. It doesn't say that he has empathy. He has compassion. Because he didn't just feel something, he did something. He said something. He reached out. He offered. He gave of himself. He sacrificed. He did what the Father in heaven wanted done here on earth in Luke 10.33 it says this is a story, this is a parable this is not Jesus in either of the positions but he's sharing the story to try and drive home this point you've heard the story before then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man a despised Samaritan not even an ordinary Samaritan (laughs) a gypsy right came along Someone who had a schedule, who had busyness just like everybody else. Who had feelings but didn't just stop at empathy or sympathy. He was a despised Samaritan who felt compassion for the man in the ditch. For the man on the side of the road who'd been left and abandoned, robbed and uncared for. He had compassion. And when he saw the man, he felt Compassion for him, which wasn't just the kind of feeling, it's like, man, that sucks, I'm sorry, I've got to get to town, I've got to come, i got to do something. What's the options? I've got to do something. JR mentioned that the two of us recently uh, got to take a trip to uh, Texas, to the Keller-Dallas- Fort Worth area, and we got to hear a couple of sessions, thank you, Cole, from John Maxwell, and uh, I don't know if How many of you have ever heard from John Maxwell? But when John Maxwell speaks and you should have a pen or a pencil in your hand and be ready to fiercely take notes, I have a loaded notebook of notes. And even as I thought about this message and was preparing for this message, I had more notes than I could put in here, but I grabbed a couple of nuggets I really wanted to share with you. I wrote this down from what he said. He said, if I see you as hurting, I will help you. If I see you as broken, I will fix you. If I see you as valuable, I will serve you. Let that sink in. If I see you as hurting, I'll help you. If I see you as broken, I'll fix you. But there's some problems with those first two, right? There's not a lot of people that want to be fixed dare to ask you who in this room wants to be fixed who wants to be helped in some of the ways that we want to help people but who wants to be valued who wants to have value instilled in them and be seen and respected for who they are where they're at, their circumstances and then we say those are the people we have to serve to put value in them he said many things don't think that's the only thing I'm going to share with you He said, we need to not just help people or fix people, but right now, we need to value people right where they are. He introduced this concept I'd never heard before. He said, Jesus is the one who introduced the servant surprise. Servant surprise? What's servant surprise? It's this. What I thought I would get and what I got were different. The servant surprise. What I thought he would say, what I thought he was going to do, what I thought his perspective was, the way I thought he lived his life, the way I thought he would treat me was different. It's not what I expected. Do you like that as much as I do? I think that's worth writing down. I love that. Here's the problem. Here's a problem he posed. In too many Christian churches in America today, in too many Christian communities, we're valuing people who are most like us. That's a problem. Why is it a problem? We're valuing people who think like us, who speak like us, who share opinions like we do, and who live like us. But Jesus... Values and loves people who think differently than him. Jesus is valuing and sharing and giving his life and serving people who have a different opinion than him, who live differently, who speak differently, who give and spend their money differently. Those are the people that Jesus goes, those are the people that need value instilled in them, not the ones who think they already know what they're worth. the people who don't think they have worth. Those are the people I'm sent to serve. And Jesus transfers that love by serving them. So number one, love looks like a commitment to serve. I'm going to come back to that with our small groups. But number two, love looks like a conversation. In this story, we're going to continue reading in Luke chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 13. We have a beautiful conversation, a little excerpt. It was not the only conversation that night, but it's the chosen conversation that John writes about, and he highlights a conversation. It starts like this in verse six. It says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I don't think he said it like that. It was more like this. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? An unworthiness, a disconnectedness. This isn't right. You're making me feel uncomfortable. How do I know that? We're going to keep reading. But I want to say this before we move on. Verse 6 is more like, actually, are you going to wash my feet? Verse 7 goes like this. Jesus replied, Actually, actually, you don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Yes, I am. Sorry for your comfort level, but I'm going to. Actually, 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 Peter again speaking in verse 8 says, No, you shall never wash my feet. Have i had those feelings, right? No, no, no. I asked that wrong. I'm going to state it a little bit more plain. You will never wash my feet. Actually, 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 Jesus' turn. Actually, Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Oh. Go ahead, Peter. Try again. Number five. Actually, I, nope. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. The conversation was washing deeper than the feet. It wasn't about the head and the hands. No, we're going to find out even that's unnecessary. Jesus was washing into the heart, into the core of him. There's some things about Peter. It's not just dumb Peter. I actually look up to him. I I, want to share with you why in a couple ways. Two tips for having conversations. Number one, be courageous. Peter's being courageous. Everybody in the room's uncomfortable. At the time, everybody wears sandals. All their feet are dirty. It's not a dirt issue. It's not a washing issue. They're going out to eat, if you will. Kind of like some of you may have done Friday night or Saturday night. It's about as good as it gets. They're going to an upper room that Jesus said, go ahead and prepare a place. We'll be there. They go there. It's not super fancy, but when you go to a fancy restaurant, you kind of expect some things. A free loaf of bread to start with, at least some water, some things, right? One of them would be to have your feet washed. But typically what would happen is the lowest servant on staff or in a home, one of the younger more responsible adolescent children would actually wash your feet from what you've come for them. It's a way of serving, of being hospitable, of welcoming, of valuing you. But it's not the head of the household. It's not the owner of the restaurant. It's not the leader of the team. And Jesus is like, no, like we've heard in other places, right? I didn't come to be served. I'm the one who came to serve and they're all a little comfortable. But Peter's saying, you're not going to wash mine, are you? But he has the conversation. He's courageous to have the conversation. And Jesus, of course, is courageous enough to have the conversation engage with Peter. But how many of us know only having courage in a conversation is dangerous? It's dangerous to just be courageous in difficult in confronting, in challenging conversations. We have to have understanding as well. And I think Peter had it in About four or five more lines, Peter gets it. He's not just being courageous, he's also being vulnerable, but he's trying to understand, what are we doing here? And Jesus is communicating nuggets of truth, and Peter thinks he gets it. Oh, then Lord, not just my feet, my hands, and my head also. No, 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 you still haven't got it yet. Let's read on. Love looks like a conversation. Oh, before I get to that, sorry, next page. I had another verse. I'm sorry if this verse hurts. I didn't write it. Proverbs 18.2. I think it can be a banner for our time right now. And I have a couple things I want to say about it. It says in verse 2, fools who have no interest in understanding. Hmm. They only want to air their opinions. I didn't write it. Not mine. Ouch, right? Ouch. Let me add a word. Jason is. It's not in scripture. I'm just having you follow along with some of my own thought process. Not as much about others, but about myself. In careful warning, I want to be part of the wise who rightly applies the truth. So it says, or could say in Jason's mind as he reads that, Christian fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their opinions. Ouch. Am I one of those people? Am I just airing my opinion or am I sharing truth? Am I sharing my opinion like it's truth? Is it really truth? Is it really? Do I really have a heart to understand Or do I just really have a heart that wants to be understood? Am I pursuing understanding? Or am I pursuing people who are like me? Who are like-minded, who say things, who have opinions, who live their life like me? That I'm going to miss out, absolutely miss out on opportunities to love like Jesus loved me. I wasn't like him. I didn't have his thoughts. His word says his thoughts and his ways, they're what? High above. They're not like ours, not even close, ridiculously high above. Our ways, we have to ask for it. We have to pursue it. We have to receive it. But we can't be afraid to have the conversations. We can't be afraid to be honest and open. But we have to have understanding. We have to be willing to not just be understood, but to try and get understanding, to try and hear where Peter's at and try and be brought along like Peter was. By Jesus. Number three, love looks like a command. John 13 verse 10 says this, Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Actually, no. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) Would have been a smart response. But he asked him this question. He said, then you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Which is not what he's saying exactly, is it? I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Again, to make it clear, at the end of the chapter, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone know, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to tell you this is actually an easier command. It's a simplified command. It seems more difficult, but do you want to compare it to the Ten Commandments and the several books that came after that of what became the law, the expansion? And Jesus says, a new command I give you. We insert words that aren't there, like perfect. You just read that. I gave you a perfect example. And we think, we can't do it because I can't be perfect. It was a perfect example. But he's not asking us to follow with a perfect example, is he? He's asking us to follow like he's commanded us, like he's showed to us the kind of love that he's loved with, that we would just do it. It's a simplification. He says it more like, follow my example, doing just what I've done. Jesus takes the pressure off. We just have to start doing it. I have three things that I'd like to share with you in closing, some closing thoughts and where I and we are going with this. Let me say this first before I share the other two is. That my greatest need, your greatest need, our greatest need, every one of us, our greatest need is to have a relationship with God that's fully restored. Despite what your experiences might be or your preconceived thoughts about that statement, even before it came out my mouth or before you came into this room, I want to tell you it is possible. No matter what you've believed before, it's possible to have a fully restored relationship with God. Peter was exercising that. It helped give him courage to have the conversation, even with the perfect Jesus. It's possible Jesus has made the way. We're actually created to live in a worshipful community with God. The Bible's clear. Our lives are meant to be shaped by his love, for him, and by his love for other people. We're actually hardwired for God's glory. In the talents, the giftings, the responsibilities, the opportunities, all of life that's in front of us, we're hardwired to live for God's glory. I want to encourage you, if you feel like this is you, if you feel like you're still living in a broken relationship with God, in a separated relationship with God, I want to encourage you, it's possible to have a fully restored relationship. I'm not saying perfect. I'm not saying you're ever expected to be perfect. You're not. But to be in relationship, an engaged relationship with God, because in his grace, God gave his son for you and I who not only died but raised from the dead that you and I would have life and have it, li- have it more abundantly. I was shocked when I heard these words come out of John Maxwell's mouth. But he did say this. He said, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who are living like they're already dead. But the problem is they're not. They're still living like they're already at the finish line, but the problem is they're still some sort, some degree of alive. But that's not okay with God. That's not what God wants. He wants us living life more abundantly. Not perfectly, but abundant life. God's life and plan for us, which we are actually hardwired for, but it's essential to be in relationship with him. It doesn't happen without a relationship with God. And with that relationship, we have access to our Heavenly Father. We have access to the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, the one who Jesus said, I have to go because I'm sending one who's greater, who's gonna be more pertinent to you living your life and walking your life out here than me staying And through him, we can have a restored relationship with God, but also with his family. I want to encourage you. There'll be opportunity after service if you want to pray with someone or talk to someone about that. There'll be a team over here who are available for you. I'm available if you'd like to talk afterwards. Maybe you know somebody's here or maybe you respect and love someone outside of here. I want to encourage you to have the conversation. Be courageous like Peter. Don't worry about being perfect. Just let it rip. Have conversation with someone to have understanding and to do something about it rather than just racking it, rather than just shelving it, forgetting it's an issue. It's it's there. Have some unction to do something about it. It's our biggest need, right? I'm excited also about our spring small groups. We have groups kicking off this week. I'm constantly in this thing. It's just a part of leadership, right, of the here and the now, and yet where are we going down the road? Uh, We've been talking as a team and a staff team and uh, even about small groups and so many other things we'll be sharing about tonight. Um, At the family meeting and the dinner that's happening here afterwards, which I'll share more about in a moment. But in small groups, I'm very excited that we have 88 people participating in small groups this week. And yet, what about the spring and what are we doing? I want to tell you, I think this message and the heart of it, I have also just really put it together regarding that. In the spring, I see us also continuing to offer small groups just as we were in the fall and now in the winter session where if you want to gather people for whatever reason, for, over a curriculum, over a book, over an activity, you'll still have opportunity to do that. We'll still be offering those groups. But in addition, I also want us we want to help offer opportunity for more of a whole church experience and actually try to get a number higher than 88 or a higher than 93 that we had in the fall, that we would actually come together for the purpose not of content or activity, but we just come together to get to know one another and to build relationship and to connect in a few weeks, but to also to deal with some of this. How are we going to love? How are we going to serve? What about this group of people? If we got these five couples together, now we're going to wrestle through how does God want us to love? How does God want us to serve? Where are we going to go? Maybe a school here in our community? Maybe it's a coworker at one of your jobs who could use value instilled in them. What sort of project can we do to help them? How can we instill value and transfer God's love for somebody? I don't know what we're going to end up calling them, but in my mind, it's, they're like serve groups. They're action groups. They're going groups. Something along those lines that we get together, we get to know one another, and that we together figure out what does God want us to do. I think some great stories could come out of that in this spring, in the month of April, in the beginning of May. It excites me to see how God may lead us in that to serve. More about that next month even Tonight, I want to invite you if Mount Helena is your home church, and you listening online or here with us, you connect with us and Mount Helena is your home. we would love to have you here in house tonight for dinner at six o 'clock and at seven o 'clock, we are going to share and summon in review of the year behind us, ways we 've given ways we 've participated, how things have gone here at Mount Helena, and yet where we 're going and how we want to continue to be engaged and participating and, and participating as a spiritual family together. We invite you to join us and to come tonight at six o'clock. Spaghetti dinner? Yeah. Garlic bread? That's what I'm talking about. Who wants to cook tonight? Said nobody. No <laughs> amens. We'd love to have you tonight. You have a place here. We'd love to have you Here, we'd also love to have your help after service, setting up tables. Anybody who would like to help with that can talk to Jen after service. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for being hungry listeners, for engaging in your relationship with God and with one another. Can we pray before we leave? Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your love for us. It's changed us. It's different. Your word makes life and our life different. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for our family, and I pray that you would lead us this afternoon, bring us back together, and lead us into what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.